Hello, welcome back. Great to have your company again. You're listening to MLEX's weekly podcast with the top regulatory stories of the moment and one for the M&A fans out there today. In just over 10 minutes' time, we'll be crossing to Sydney, Australia to dissect a deal involving one of the country's top four banks, National Australia Bank, and the local consumer business of Citigroup. It's an interesting one for us because it taps into some red-hot regulatory issues, namely the control of data and payment systems, and Laurel Henning will have all of the gossip for us on that front. First up, though, to the US and the Lockheed Martin Aerojet Rocketdyne deal. Yes, it's uh, quite a mouthful and it's a fascinating transaction for us. Not only does it return to the usual themes of behavioural remedies versus structural solutions, and we've talked about some of those themes on many occasions, but it's also giving us a chance to shine the light on the involvement of the US Department of Defence. It's all happening at a time when, around the globe, governments are increasingly applying a national security lens to significant deals. Curtis Heichelberger covers mergers and acquisitions for MLEX, and he has written a great piece of analysis on this deal. And Curtis joins us now from Philadelphia. Curtis, firstly, uh, maybe uh, give us an update on where things now stand on the Lockheed Aerojet defense merger. Sure. So the, the merger was announced in December, and they received a second request from the Federal Trade Commission in February. That means the government had some concerns and was taking a deeper dive uh, into the deal. It's a vertical deal. Uh, that's where a company acquires another company and its supply chain. So here, Lockheed, the U.S.'s biggest defense contractor, is buying Aerojet, uh, an important manufacturer of propulsion systems. There are uh, two major areas of concern. The first is that the merger will eliminate the last independent maker of solid rocket motors in Aerojet. And it will also grant Lockheed control over the only current maker of what's called the divert and attitude control system. It's what steers the, the rocket when one rocket's trying to intercept enough another at super fast speeds. Uh, so after the merger, you know, Lockheed will sell Aerojet's products to its competitors, Boeing, Raytheon. That doesn't leave the competitors feeling too good. Raytheon, for example, buys uh, 70% of its propulsion systems from Aerojet. So they're really going to be you know, kind of partnering with their competitor, if you think about it. And Lockheed says it can resolve those concerns by signing an agreement, essentially agreeing to play fair. Uh, also, you should know that the U.S. Department of Defense, it also conducts its own antitrust invest- investigation on all defense-related mergers. And then, it, you know, I say, I'm putting this in quote marks, it consults with the antitrust agencies as to whether the, the merger creates any problems uh, related to national defense or security. Uh, I think that's it in a nutshell. Now, this is where it becomes interesting, right, because the U.S. Department of Defense is playing a larger role uh, in the antitrust review than it lets on. Is that a, is that a fair summary of the state of play? Yes, yes, that's, that's true. Uh, although the agencies will say the DOD advises or consults with the FTC, that's not really the case. If the DOD says it needs a merger to happen because it will ensure you know, the U.S. can continue to buy a product it needs or parts or to keep a company in business, the FTC is going to do that. In most cases, you know, the DOD is the only customer of, you know, of a missile system, right? And it would be difficult for the FTC to sue to block a deal without the DOD's support, especially a trial. You know, imagine going in front of a judge and saying, we think this is anti-competitive, and the DOD says, ah, we're okay with it. In fact, we'd like to have it happen. Uh, or at least that's the argument the FTC has made in the past. The term national security is the key here. It silences the room. It ends any conversation. Some generals walk in the room and say, we need this deal for national security reasons. 
In past cases, uh, even in deals the FTC believed were blatantly illegal, the DOD's national security argument got the deal approved. That's a big thing. One agency of the government approved an illegal deal because the DOD said it needed it to keep us safe. And this has been going on for years and years. Of course, now the sector is horribly consolidated, which harms innovation and, and, and leads to higher prices. Now, Senator Elizabeth Warren sent FTC Chair Lena Khan a letter last month which demanded answers to some uh, important questions about the role that the Department of Defense plays in these deals. And she mentioned the Lockheed Aerojet merger specifically. Uh, now, Ms. Khan uh, responded to that letter, at least in part, last week. Did this exchange uh, end up uh, shedding any light on the ongoing merger review? This is a great question, but I think we need to be careful here. I think we can read between the lines on a few things, but I want to be clear. I have no proof any decisions have been made by the FTC regarding the deal. Or I have no sense for which way the FTC is leaning. I want to be clear on that. If I knew that, I'd have reported it already. Now, the senator asked the FTC chair, Lena Kahn, about defense industry mergers in a letter. Uh, she wanted to understand the role the DOD plays. And she wanted to know more about vertical mergers and whether they can be trusted to protect competitors like Raytheon and she mentioned the Lockheed, Lockheed deal specifically. Now, Khan said what you'd expect. She said that the, the antitrust agencies determine whether tr- transactions should be challenged and that the DOD's approvals not required you know, prior to consummation. So she didn't address the elephant in the room, the DOD's outsized influence. What she said about vertical mergers was more to the point. She said this, and here, here's a quote. She said, I, I am skeptical that behavioral remedies alone are sufficient to prevent a vertical merger from causing harm. This is especially true for vertical mergers involving large firms with substantial market power at one or more levels of the supply chain. The larger the market share, the higher the risk that a vertical merger will result in a reduction of competition post-merger. For that reason, I prefer structural remedies that prevent the harmful integration of assets or would support the commission moving to block the merger altogether. Now, keep in mind, she's, she's answering a letter from the senator about the defense industry. This is the only defense deal going on. It's a vertical deal, right? So she's not mentioning the deal by specifically, Elena isn't, but I think to some degree we can read between the lines. One important question that went unanswered in Khan's response was about the outcome of an FTC investigation into possible violations of a settlement that allowed Northrop Grumman to buy Orbital uh, ATK three years ago. This was also a vertical deal in the defense industry. An an investigation was begun in that deal over whether the behavioral remedies worked and whether Northrop Grumman was able to disadvantage a competitor. The company acknowledged uh, an investigation in an SEC filing, but the FTCs never acknowledged the existence of an investigation or the outcome of one. They just keep quiet on all of this. So Warren had asked Khan to report on the FTC's investigation of what the senator referred to as as, as a failure of the behavioral remedy in that merger. And she asked the chair to to take the findings from the investigation into consideration when addressing whether there might be similar problems in the Lockheed Aerojet deal. Again, she's hitting this specific deal. Kind of addressed the issue, kind of, saying that the research and experience suggest that behavioral remedies are difficult to administer and have often failed to prevent anti-competitive conduct. Uh, I don't like reading quotes on a podcast, uh, but in this case, I think her <laughs> words are important, James. Yeah. She said, while structural remedies generally have a stronger track record than behavioral remedies, in other words, selling an asset to fix the, the anti-competitive problem, rather than asking the, the acquiring company to kind of behave, 
to not cheat, to not disadvantage its competitors. Uh, she thinks it's better when you sell an asset than when you ask them to essentially play fair. Uh, she said that studies of, di- uh, of divestitures where you're getting rid of the asset uh, have shown that they may also prove inadequate in the face of an unlawful merger. Uh, quote, she said, in light of this, I believe the antitrust agencies should more frequently consider opposing problematic deals outright, block them. Khan also said she wasn't sure about monitors when these, on these behavioral remedies. They'll have a monitor, keep an eye on it to make sure the companies are playing fair. They're hired from the outside. They should have expertise. But she's uncertain they actually work. And she's examining whether they should continue using monitors. So her, again, we're reading through the line, you know, between the lines a bit, but I felt she was fairly um, forthcoming. Yes, indeed. Now, it does seem that there has been a confluence of events in recent months suggesting that this could be a difficult deal for the FTC to approve the Lockheed deal, uh, to, well, at least for it to approve it without major concessions, and assuming, of course, that the Department of Defence doesn't push the FTC aside here, right? Right. Well, they're five months into the review, the second review, a second request, and the review's been slow. Uh, but to be honest, there's been a ton of filings this year. It's one of the biggest years for filings in uh, two decades. We have a new administration with Joe Biden. Lena wasn't approved until just two months ago as the FTC chair. The Senate still hasn't confirmed Jonathan Cantor as the AAG, the head of the Department of Justice's antitrust division. Uh, but, we, but we do know the FTC's gotten much more aggressive in its reviews uh, and that the Biden administration has taken a harder look at competition. Uh, you know, the president issued an executive order uh, in early July calling for a government-wide effort to improve competition in all sectors of the economy. He says Congress has frequently created overlapping jurisdiction in the policing of anti-competitive conduct. Here we have it with the DOJ looking at or pardon me, the, the Department of Defense looking at it and the Federal Trade Commission looking at it. So these are overlapping reviews. And he said where there is overlapping jurisdiction, he wants agencies to try and work together But in major transactions, he wants the agencies to give weight to the views of the attorney general or the chair of the FTC. In the past, the DOD has been running roughshod right right over the FTC. He didn't address it specifically, but what does this mean? Does this mean that when it comes down, push comes to shove, the FTC should carry the weight? Has there been a shift? Does that imply a power shift away from national security and more to the importance of competition? Well, we're going to have to wait and see. And then don't forget, there's one other thing. You know, uh, Frank Kendall used to you know, be an acquisitions chief for the Pentagon. He just got confirmed as the secretary of the Air Force. That's important. He's complained about consolidation in the defense industry and lack of competition and innovation in the past. He could influence the DOD's approach here. So again, something else we have to see. Con- uh, con- Congress people like uh, Senator Warren and others have also written letters and said, you know, please take notice. You know, look at this deal. Uh, so there are elements that, that seem to be working against this deal, but, and this is a big B-U-T, I've yet to see hard evidence, any proof or, 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 or a source confirmation that the DOD has changed its approach to running roughshod over the FTC or that the White House is working behind the scenes to ensure the DOD isn't you know, throwing out the national security argument willy-nilly just to get what it wants with no forethought about how that's going to affect consolidation or concentration or, or competition 10 or 20 years from now. Okay, look, uh, finally, Curtis, uh, what, in your view, are the critical questions that uh, you're still trying to get answers to? What remains unresolved here? Uh, James, I think there's three big ones. Uh, 
Uh, one, uh, I want to know if Lena is willing to file a lawsuit to, bl- to, to block a defense deal like Lockheed Aerojet without the DOD support. If she can't put the DOD in the uh, witness chair and say, here's my customer, they're complaining, if they're not going to complain, is she still willing to, to, to go to court and, and fight it on her own? That's, that's to be seen. Two, is the White House working behind the scenes with the DOD to make sure any national security claims are really serious and outweigh the need for competition? No one wants a big public spat between the FTC and the DOD, and the White House could ensure that by keeping it kind of in-house. Are they talking? Is the White House active? Are they involved in this deal? And finally, Lena doesn't think behavioral remedies are effective. I, we just went over that a bit ago. Uh, I'd like to know, is there a way to fix the deal structurally, meaning an asset sale, getting rid of a piece of this, and still make it worthwhile to the companies? I don't see how that could happen, and I haven't heard there's a way. I mean, they make propulsion systems. If, if Lockheed were to sell the propulsion systems to a third party to resolve the problem, what's the point to do in the deal? You're buying Aerojet because of its propulsion systems. But maybe there is some genius way to get around that. Okay, look, hopefully those questions won't remain unanswered for too much longer. Curtis, great talking as always. I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, James. Curtis Eichelberger covers mergers and acquisitions for MLEX, and his analysis of this regulatory scramble is online and ready for you to check out. Our website is mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Just click on the News Hub tab. You're listening to MLEX's weekly podcast. I'm James Paniki. Thank you for sticking around. And in just a moment, a financial services deal with a difference. And don't forget you can subscribe to MLEX's podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and Stitcher. National Australia Bank is one of the country's big four banks and that grouping is relevant to a broader conversation about competition in Australia's financial services industry. NAB is now planning to acquire the consumer business of Citigroup in Australia and that has raised some very interesting questions given the backdrop of increased concern over the level of competition among the country's big lenders. Laurel Henning is MLEX's senior correspondent. She's based in Sydney and she joins me right now. So, uh, Laurel, on the face of it, this isn't a a particularly uh, big deal in the sense that it's valued at just 1.2 billion Australian dollars. That's around 880 million US. So why is it seen as important? You're right, James. Uh, In terms of value, this is nothing to write home about. And in fact, compared with Australia's largest um, proposed merger, which happened just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, and involves US company Square and Australia's buy now, pay later company Afterpay, uh, that merger is valued at 39 billion Australian, 29 billion US. Well, this is peanuts, really. But for two reasons, this merger is of particular interest to us and to our readers. First of all, the merger could deliver Australia's second largest credit card provider. So uh, in a concentrated market, that's a key consideration for the competition regulator moving forward. The second reason is that the acquisition would actually grant NAB access to the transaction data of around 1 million extra customers to whom they already have access. So we know that data aggregation is um, an increasing area of concern for regulators around the world. So for those two reasons, this is of particular interest. 
Now, over the past uh, few years, you've been reporting on how Australia's banking industry has faced increased regulatory scrutiny amid concerns over uh, a lack of competition. Tell me something about that. Yeah, that's right. So just to walk us back through sort of the last three years of Uh, regulatory scrutiny of the banking industry in Australia. In 2018, there was a report by the Productivity Commission, which is um, a government advisory board, um, into the banking sector. And the Productivity Commission argued in that report that what banks were passing off as competition was merely, and I quote, persistent marketing and brand activity promoting barely differentiated products. Um, And then also in the same year, the ACCC, Australia's competition regulator, um, reported on Australia's mortgage market. And that concluded that the bank's accommodative and synchronised approach to pricing was being enabled by an oligopoly market structure. And that's a phrase that we'll hear again in this in this three year period that I'm just walking you through now. This oligopoly market structure, which is sort of dominated, well, it is dominated by four key market players. So you've got Australia and New Zealand Banking Group, uh, NAB, which is National Australia Bank, uh, Commonwealth Bank of Australia, and Westpac as well. And then moving forward another year into 2019, we've got Australia's government sort of being forced to respond to an independent inquiry, which had found that the banks were embracing ethically questionable uh, and at times illegal practices when they were dealing with with the public. Uh, And in the same year, in February of 2019, the ACCC responded to growing competition concerns uh, by uh, sort of revamping, restructuring its internal financial services unit. And we then again saw the head of the ACCC, Rod Sims, saying that that phrase again, that term oligopoly and referring to the industry and saying that the market structure prevents large second tier banks from competing. And uh, Laurel, we should explain for listeners not familiar with the Australian policy that is in place here. It's referred to as the four pillars uh, policy. How does that work? So obviously four pillars referring to each of the four major banks. Each bank is a pillar of that of that policy. Uh, It was created in the 90s and it basically protects those four large national banks from takeovers. It prevents further consolidation between the major banks. But what it leads to is basically that they end up just buying up anything that's smaller than what each of those four banks. While themselves not being subjected to to takeovers, which is itself, I suppose, problematic in the eyes of the ACCC. Now, have there been any early indications from the competition regulator as to what it makes of this proposed merger? Yes, there have. We've seen some initial statements from Rod Sims saying that the regulator will carefully consider the impact of the deal, particularly on the credit card market, which is something I'd I'd mentioned earlier, um, because the deal would create the country's second largest credit card provider. Uh, It's also worth noting that uh, Citigroup in Australia is one of three corporate defendants in a major criminal lawsuit, which is set to go to a jury trial next year. Um, The bank, as well as three individuals associated with it is facing criminal cartel allegations for its involvement in a 2015 Australia and New Zealand banking group share placement. It's also probably worth noting here that Citigroup in Australia is one of three corporate defendants in a major criminal uh, lawsuit, criminal cartel lawsuit, in fact, set to go to trial, a jury trial uh, next year. The bank, as well as 
uh, three individuals associated with it is facing criminal cartel allegations for its involvement in a 2015 Australia and New Zealand banking group share placement. And we've actually just heard this week that one of those three individuals has already seen the charges uh, against them dropped. So that's two individuals, in fact, associated with Citigroup um, facing a jury trial next year. So the deal comes as the company is preparing for that case and, of course, the costs involved. Laurel, there's so much going on on both the regulatory and enforcement landscape when it comes to banks in Australia. It was great catching up with you. As always, I'll speak to you next time. And with you, James. Thanks. Laurel Henning is MLEX's Sydney-based senior reporter and her analysis of the deal is ready for you to take in. MLEXmarketinsight.com is where you need to be. MLEXmarketinsight.com and head straight for the News Hub tab where you'll find links to some of the best most scintillating regulatory coverage and analysis around and there's a word you don't often hear in the regulatory firmament as for me sadly this is where i must bid you farewell i will be back in your feed next week to chat about the top mlex stories of the moment with the help of our team of intrepid reporters around the world i'm james paniki asia pacific senior editor and from everyone here at mlex and lexus nexus thank you for your company i'll see you again very soon bye for now